Good morning. Let's open in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for bringing us together. We thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you as a family, to learn from one another, to see how you work in each of our lives, because we, you've made us all individuals, and you teach, you treat us each that way. So, Lord, may our hearts be open and our ears be listening, that we may learn more about your word today. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have a uh, visiting pastor today. <laughs> and his lovely wife. Let's not forget his lovely wife. Uh, <laughs> do we have any other announcements? Let's worship our Lord. Oh, good morning, everybody. <laughs> Effective prayer. Before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Isaiah 65, 24. John Knox spent a lot of time in prayer, and the church in Scotland burst into a new life. John Wesley prayed long and often, and the Methodist movement was born. Martin Luther prayed earnestly, and the Reformation exploded across Europe. Why was prayer so important to those spiritual giants of the past? Because they knew they were up against an almost overwhelming force of spiritual opposition. They also knew the urgency of the gospel message, and that prayer was the essential weapon in advancing the gospel to the ends of the earth. And like Paul, they knew the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty in God for pulling down those strongholds. Is our situation any different? God desires that the Christians be concerned and burdened for a lost world. If we pray this, excuse me, if we pray this kind of prayer, the era of peace may come to the world and wickedness may be turned back. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And our hope for today, how much time do you spend in prayer? Is it your first line of defense or your last resort? We would see mighty works of God in our families, churches, and our communities if we took God at his word and took prayer seriously. Amen.
Old Testament reading for this morning is from Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, depending on where you're from, verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. Amen. Would you stand with us all together as we recite the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Testament reading today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 24 through 35. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and then went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that 
the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? And Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they, while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scripture says, Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true, the true bread of God is the one that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. And Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Okay, we have a responsive reading. This day is full of beauty and adventure. Help me, Lord, to be fully alive to it all. During this day, may I become a more thoughtful person, a more prayerful person, a more generous and kindly person. Help me not to be turned in on myself, but to be sensitive and helpful to others. Let me do nothing today that will hurt anyone, but let me help the little to make my life more pleasant for those I meet. Lord God, bless this day for all of us. Make it a day in which we grow a little more like your son. Amen. Let us pray. Our, our Heavenly Father, all belongs to you. And you have entrusted it, things to us, different amounts, different things, different skills, different talents. But Lord, you tell us to give back, to share those talents, to further your kingdom, to reach out, to help others. Lord, we ask that the gifts we give today may, may do that. May they be given freely and may they be used for the purposes that you would have them be, be used for. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you'd like to stand, we'll do the doxology. was just thinking, Iris asked me why I got so quiet. I was thinking about the Douglases. I think it was in their backyard was some of my first introductions to Tucson. 
uh, when we came to serve First Free up on North Swan, um, we were, they were pitching horseshoes. And for some strange reason, Wuber got out here ahead of me that I was the champion, a state champion for Illinois in pitching horseshoes. And I don't know, I just, I had to live with that for a couple of years. And, pardon? Until you played? Yeah, until I played. And I realized that I didn't know what end of the horseshoe to throw. Then I was in trouble anyway. It was what? False news, yeah. I realized you had to take them off the horse first. But uh, anyway, fond, fond memories uh, of the Douglases. We've known them for 40 plus years. Father, thank you again for memories we have of people that have had an impact on our lives uh, who've gone on before us, Lord. And thank you that Phyllis has gone to be with you and uh, knowing how close that she and Howard were that uh, we know it's hard on him as it is any husband to lose a mate or any wife. We, we, we pray for comfort for them, Lord. Now we thank you for this morning and as we see the bread and the cup and for us, we know this is a, a very, very, very special, very special celebration, Lord. One of remembering and I've always been confused. You know that, Lord. I'm a confused person sometimes because I, I never know if I should celebrate because your son died for us and is alive or if I should be sad because he had to go to the cross for my sins. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you as we see the table and the, the juice and the bread before us, Lord, that they represent the greatest sacrifice, the greatest sacrifice ever, ever made for us by your son so that we can know your absolute, forever, complete forgiveness. Thank you for your word this morning. We know that it will never return void, so I ask as your servant that you would be pleased to use what I have to say, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The communion text, you know it well, maybe you've memorized it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable to the, for the body and blood of the Lord. Examine yourselves and only eat then of the bread and drink of the cup. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body, eat and drink judgment against themselves. Did your families have any family reunions that you remember? I see some of you nodding your heads, yes. And uh, my family never had that I remember anyway of family reunions. I think you said, sweetheart, that your family had them occasionally. Is that right? The councilmans? Um, 
But, uh, I, and I've shared with you before that I worked on a farm or stayed on a farm starting when I was seven years old. And I was there all the way until I graduated from high school every summer. And uh, because I was six or seven years old when I first went there, uh, I, they considered me, and I was true, that I was too young to be out in the field. And so I started out in the house doing house chores, things like dishes, believe it or not. And um, they had two boys, Bill and and um, and Bill and who? <laughs> you forgot too. Um, anyway, they had two boys. I have it written down here. Bill and John Hall was the name. Uh, and they were toddlers. Uh, and so I went on the farm and my first job, uh, jobs included doing the dishes in the house, the farmhouse, because when you have farm and uh, Robert, you know this, just a lot of hired hands around, a lot of people to feed and take care of. And I, oh, I didn't intend to share this, but one of the memories, you have to forgive me because I'm getting older and memories mean so much to me right now when I'm able to have them. No, but uh, <laughs> when sweet corn was in season, uh, of course, that was on the menu for the threshing crew. And threshing crew was about, you know, I think probably eight to 12, eight or 10 men that came, traveled from farm to farm doing uh, threshing. Threshing is when you separate the oats from the stem. And, um, and so they, that farm that we were on, I'm sorry to reminisce here, but uh, please allow me this. And so during the threshing season, we went from farm to farm to farm. And uh, I see some of you nodding your heads. You remember those days. And of course, it was uh, at noon, it was huge. I mean, it was a big feed where you had eight or 10 men sitting around table uh, with a meal that was um, huge. <laughs> and um, forgive me, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm having uh, some memories, but they were just, uh, they were wonderful times and and, and I am today what I have been becoming all those years, working on the farm. And I remember when I was working on construction, believe it or not, the owner of the construction, and now I'm older to tell you this, and uh, I remember that uh, he got upset with me for something that I did on a construction site, and I remember as a teenager walking away crying, crying as a young man because I was so hurt. But um, the farm I worked on 
they had a family reunion. The Krupke family had a reunion uh, every summer while I was there. I went from farm to farm. I see some of you nodding your head. You remember those days, Sonny, maybe. And um, boy, did we eat. But I remember doing chores, and I was taking care or becoming, I was a companion because I was pretty young, to two boys who were toddlers. The fam mom's side of the family were the Krupkes, a German family, and uh, they had reunions, as I just said, every year. We went from one farm to another each year, it got changed. But I remember the settings, the trees, the, the table was just laden, almost breaking with food that people brought in. And uh, about 100 yards from the house was the barn. And uh, of course, to the left of that was a fenced field. And then there was the drive, the gravel driveway, and cars from the 1940s and 50s parked there on the front lawn. <clears throat> And close to the house uh, were several long tables that had been borrowed from the Bergen Lutheran Church and the Methodist Church there on the corner on Hunter Road. And uh, some of the tables were loaded uh, with um, casseroles. Uh, other tables were loaded with salads and uh, all kinds. And another with desserts, pies and cakes and chopped fruit, everything you could think of. You remember those days, probably. I just remember that um, it was a great-great-grandmother, and it's strange to say this, but for some reason, every time I hugged her, she had the fragrance of lavender. And I had fond memories. But then my memories began to blur, and nothing is left now but the warm fuzzies of uh, youngsters' happy memories of a grand family reunion, loaded with cousins, second cousins, second cousins once removed, uncles, aunts, great aunts, great uncles, but a lot of food, a lot of fun, and more food. The second recollection places me at the age about 12 or so. By this time, I was interested in girls. I can remember a pretty little second or third cousin for some reason I couldn't figure out. I wasn't supposed to have a crush on her. She was a relative. But my cousin married a college football star who was drafted by the Los Angeles Rams. But instead, he chose to go to the mission field. And uh, I could never figure out that choice. But he was my hero. My hero, because he chose to serve God on the field rather than a lucrative football career. He was my hero. 
I still remember the excitement that surged within me when he urged me to come over to the side of the yard so he could throw the football to me. When I was writing this, I was wondering, do you have memories of family reunions or family picnics where you got together and, um, well, you know, the table in front of us, tables, this is a family reunion. This is God's family. And we come here today to eat and drink together, to celebrate and to remember what he's done for us. I, um, I always struggled at communion. I wasn't sure if I was supposed to be sad because of what Jesus had done for me or if I should be happy and rejoicing because of what he has done for me. His death made it possible for me to experience absolute, forever, complete forgiveness. Well, this table, tables in front of us, are, uh, do have memories like that, or they're supposed to. It's what the Lord's Supper is intended to be, is a fam- uh, excuse me, a family reunion. Back in the first century, it was, it was held, and often in secret, where the leaders of the church would take bread and give thanks. And they would say, this is Christ's body, which is broken for you. And then they would take some wine and declare, this is Christ's blood shed for your sins. In the leisurely setting of the early church, meeting in the catacombs, often in secret, not always, but some, it got to that point. After the celebration, after the communion, people would stay around and share what was going on in their lives and give testimony of God's greatness. The early church was the one place where the ancient world the barriers that divided the world were broken down. Unfortunately, back in the days of slavery, the blacks sat on one side and the whites on the other side, but that eventually changed, of course. But when you study the history of our world, it was rigidly divided. Free people, slaves, Greeks, Romans, Jews, barbarians. And I put a smiley face and wrote Swedes. 
my nationality, the educated, the ignorant, the wealthy, the poor. The church was one place where all people of all background could come together. One church historian wrote this about the early Christian congregations. I quote, within their own limits, they had solved almost by the way the social problem which baffled Rome and baffles Europe still. They had lifted woman to her rightful place, restored the dignity of labor, abolished begging, and drew the and draw the sting of slavery. The secret of the revolution is that the selfishness of race and class was forgotten in the supper of the Lord and a new basis for society found in the love of the visible image of God in men for whom Christ died. So when 1 Corinthians was written, and by the way, many scholars believe it was one of the first books of the New Testament that was written, not Matthew or Mark or the Gospels. And now this is what Paul wrote or said. Now in the following instructions, I do not commend you because you are, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. Indeed, there have to be factions among you. There have to be factions among you, for only so will it become clear who among you are genuine. When you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper, for when the time comes to eat, each of you goes ahead with your own supper, and one goes hungry and another becomes drunk. What? Do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I commend you? In this manner, I do not commend you. So we have warning in this passage. Actually, we have three warnings I want to share with you briefly, and then we're going to come to the, our table here, the Lord's table. Warning number one, don't let our differences destroy our worship. It's amazing because the communion was the one time when they come together and celebrate the Lord's Supper. I remember back in the 1950s, and I do remember hearing from a friend that took a group to the Middle East, and, uh, and it was Sunday morning in Cairo, and he said the group entered a local Coptic Presbyterian church situated a few blocks from the hotel, and it was Communion Sunday. Immediately following the sermon, he says, we were all invited to participate in the Lord's Supper. And he was shocked 
to see that two of the tour group, preachers in a denomination, walked out. My friend said, all eyes turned toward them. What was wrong? And he says, I, I, I attempted to engage myself in the service once more. And he said, after the benediction I went out, there were those two pastors. And I asked them why they left. And their response was, our denomination is not in fellowship with Presbyterians. We practice closed communion. That was a shock to me. I had never been in a church that practiced closed communion. So number one, warning number one, don't let your differences destroy the worship. And number two, don't forget the meaning of the Lord's Supper. Paul takes the time to specifically tell us the importance of the Lord's Supper. He states in the text that he directed, he received it directly from the Lord. And Paul describes how Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and gave thanks and gave it to them. And he took the wine in the same kind of manner and he said, described how Jesus gave meaning to the elements. Jesus took the bread and he said, this is my body. And then he said, this is my blood. Which is given for you. As Presbyterians, we don't believe, of course, that the bread becomes the body or the juice becomes the blood. But instead, we talk about something that I don't think I fully understand, but I do celebrate. They talk about the real presence. And so the real presence when we eat and drink together. It's as if I'm meeting someone for the first time and I pull out my wallet and I open it to a picture of my, and I say, this is my family. It isn't, of course. It's a picture of my family. The other day, a family's daughter by the name of Carla was in town on business. She was cleaning out some of her files, and she came across a great school paper she had written. It was a biography of her father. She brought it in, and she and her father read it together, and they both had forgotten that she ever wrote the paper. They laughed, and then as she left the room, the father began to cry. The memories flooded back of this bright little school grade, grade school kid, interviewing him and others for that paper. When we handle the bread, folks, and when we take the cup, it's to remind us of what God has done for us individually. Something happens 
something happens. And then it says, don't participate unworthily. The first kind of unworthiness is to eat and drink together if you have not come to personal faith in Jesus Christ first. We're not asked to be perfect. We're asked to admit that we're not perfect. And that's why we come time and time again for forgiveness. That's the first kind of unworthiness if we have not yet come to personal faith in Jesus Christ. And the second kind is if we have unconfessed sin in our life. And before we eat and drink together this morning, if there is anything in our lives that is not pleasing to God, we are to ask for his forgiveness. And once we have done that, we are forgiven. And once we are forgiven, we are worthy to eat and to drink together. Father, thank you for this table this morning, Father. You know that as I was writing this sermon, the memories that I struggled with, Lord, memories in my family, but also memories of what your son has done for us. The huge sacrifice he made where he gave his life that we might have new life, Father. So prepare our hearts now as we come to the table. If there is anything in our life that is not pleasing to you, all we need to do is simply ask you to forgive us. And when we do that, Lord, we become worthy to eat and drink together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. tables and what they represent. The bread representing your son's body that was broken for us on the cross. Thank you also for the juice that reminds us of the blood. Father, thank you. Thank you. There is a real presence of you here as we eat and drink together. May we ask forgiveness where necessary and thank you when we can. 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen. from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed he took the bread when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me let's eat together in remembrance of him In the same way, the cup also after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Hallelujah, until he comes. Amen for that. This cup represents the blood of our Lord was shed for us on the cross. So let us drink together in Christ's name. Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for this service. Thank you for our family. This truly is a reunion to be remembered. And you are the head of the family. In Christ's name we pray, Lord. Amen. And if you'd like to stand, we'll sing Amazing Grace. It is amazing, isn't it?
Holy Father, we thank you for the memories that we have. We went, Jerry took us on a little trip down memory lane. I too went back to family reunions, times on the farm, times when uh, my dad's family, we were spread all over the country, would get back together once a year. And for my mom who grew up on the farm and we were all no more than a half hour apart, that was a Sunday event. Every Sunday we would come together. Lord, and we all, we all love you and we all thank you for, for sacrificing your son that we may be forgiven of our sins. And we ask that we appreciate that every day. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.